Welcome to the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influitive, where we talk with customer-obsessed people to uncover how you can be more customer-focused. I'm your host, Dan Kalmar. Today, I'm joined by Lauren Turner. Lauren is obsessed with driving experiences to customers that are engaging, educational, and drive revenue and growth. Her work has earned her multiple awards, including being named to the CMA 100 list of customer advocacy strategists and influencers, and she's a three-time Influitive BAMI award winner. She's currently Director of Customer Marketing at Alice, a platform that enables companies to enhance customer and prospect relationships by sending personalized gifts at scale. In her spare time, she performs improv comedy at the Doghouse Theater as part of the cast of Sick Puppies Comedy in Delray Beach, Florida. And surprisingly, that's what we're going to be talking about today, improv comedy. But not just for the sake of talking about improv comedy, we're going somewhere with this. Lauren's a customer marketer during the day, but has an extensive background in improv by night. At first glance, and when she first suggested this topic to me, I wasn't sure there was much overlap there. But over the years, Lauren has found that her learnings from improv have made her a better marketer, and she believes others would do well to learn more about the craft. In this conversation, we talk about how improv can lead to more active listening, which can help you connect more deeply with your customers, how it's helped her not be afraid to take risks, and we even kick things off with an improv game, which I was not great at, but Lauren came through. Lauren, welcome to the All About the Customer podcast. So great to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on the show. So today we're talking about improv, and right before we started recording, you threw a wrench in the plans. You wanted to make this a real improv, and you said, hey, let's start off with an improv exercise. So I, I promise everybody that we're going somewhere with all of this. We're going to get into how you can you know, integrate uh, improv thinking into, into marketing, customer marketing, advocacy, but let, let's do this. Let's start off with this improv exercise. Why don't you set this up, tell the folks at home what we're going to be doing, and then we'll see how this goes. This might be, this might be a disaster. Maybe it will need to be cut, but I, I don't think so. I think this is going to be, even if we fail, I feel like this is going to be a good thing. So set us so up. So you're already going into this with the perfect improv mindset where you have no idea where things are going to end up, but you're willing to take that risk and trusting in the other folks that you're working with. I don't know if I'm trusting. I don't know if I trust you, Lauren, but I, I, I'm willing to, I'm willing awesome. to give it a go. Yeah, so this this game is called Convergence, and the idea behind it is to get on the same page with the other players as quickly as possible. Because when you're going on stage, unless you are the first person to speak, and even if you are the first person to speak, you don't know where the seat is going to go. You might not have determined the location or the relationship that you have between the people on stage. And so you need to very, very quickly get to those critical points so that way the scene can move forward. Because otherwise you're just flailing about like, who are we, where are we, what's going on, and being able to dive right into that reality. So we play this game called Convergence where I say a word, you say a word at the exact same time. They are going to be clearly different words because we have not collaborated on what the word is. And we keep going until we both say the same word. So, for example, I might say bread, and you might say chair, and we converge on popcorn, potentially, because you can sit in a chair and eat popcorn at the movies, or, or any of those internal logical things. And the idea is to do that in as few rounds as possible. This is also a great way for customer-facing roles to get on the same page with the other stakeholders, 
in your organization because you want to better understand where they're coming from. You want them to understand where you're coming from. And it's a good way to just get that teamwork in as quickly as possible in as little amount of time. I like to imagine that every meeting that you run at Alice starts with this exercise. So would I. <laughs> um, I will be doing an improv workshop at some point in the, in the near future, uh, but it, it is a very fun thing that I would like to try. All right, let's do it. I, I've, I've got a word in mind, but maybe I shouldn't have a word in mind. Maybe I should just go into this with a blank slate, but let's, let's do it. Just a quick note here. This game is fun, but if you want to skip the shenanigans, you can jump ahead about three minutes in the episode. Set things up. How do, how do we do it? Do we both count? Three, two, one. Do you hold up your fingers? Three, two, one. One, two, three, word. Okay. Okay. One, right. two, three, pencil. Water. Uh, you have you to said say pencil? Yep. You have to say it at the same time. All right. So pencil and water. Okay. One, two, three. Paper. Magic marker. Sorry, what did you say? Magic marker. Magic marker. Okay. We're getting close. And paper. Okay. Yeah. One, two, three. Drawing. Pen. What's the longest you've ever seen this go on? Has this gone on for like two hours before? Definitely not that long, but it can take a couple of rounds. But we're getting close. Okay. Okay. So what, what do we have? We have pen and what was it? Drawing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. One, two, three. Sketch. Art. <laughs> so close. It becomes, it becomes increasingly hard to think of uh, the sliver between these two things. So we got sketch and we got art. art. Yep. Okay. One, two, three. Painting. Comedy. Ah, oh, I was thinking painting too. But you should have said painting. I know. I should have said painting. Okay. <laughs> so now we've got painting and comedy. Painting and comedy. All right. One, two, three. Cartoon. Gallery. Gallery and cartoon. Now I feel like we're getting further apart. Okay. One, right. two, three. Museum. Television. <sighs> Television and museum. Okay. One, two, three. Emmy Awards. Gallery. Oh. Emmy <laughs> Awards and gallery. Mm -hmm. All right. One, mm. two, <laughs> three. Awards. Awards. Awards, award winners. I think that's. I think that's close enough. Yeah. That's. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And and what do you find usually happens after you set a game up like this? Like it, it, I don't know if you've ever done this in a corporate context or if it's always been in kind of an uh, an improv like. I haven't yeah. done this specific game in a corporate context. I've done other ones um, that work on different skills. So there's a, a classic warm up called Five Things, where you basically just point at someone and say have them name five things of some category, you know, five things that you would never see in a restaurant and everyone counts along with the person who's listing off those things. And it doesn't matter what they say. It could be ridiculous. You know, it could be a hat, one, a dinosaur, two, your mother-in-law, three, a shoe, four, a sunset, five. These are five things. And the point behind that is to just kind of get the ideas out of your head without that self-censoring critic in the back of your head that's going to be like, oh, that's not a good idea. What if I say this? And Because the stakes are so low. No one cares. Everyone is going to be cheering along with whatever it is you're saying. And doesn't it feel nice to get that validation? 
And wouldn't yeah. it be great in the working world if we were to get that same kind of validation and get all the ideas out before we start culling them down? So I'm not saying that every meeting you have should start with an improv game, although maybe. But we've all been in those idea-generating meetings. You throw out an idea that's a little out there and it gets shot down or mocked. Well, what do you do at that point? You shut down. You stop putting out risky ideas. I'm a firm believer that good ideas often come from bad ideas. Imagine if your idea-generating meeting started off by getting the juices flowing and showing that it's okay to throw out wacky ideas. I suspect you might uncover way more creative ideas that way. Hm. Maybe there is something to this improv thing. Improv in so many ways is really all about iteration, right? You're going into a scene, you don't know where it's going. You might have an idea of what your character is, but if I'm going in on stage thinking that I'm Amelia Earhart and my scene partner comes in and calls me Martha Stewart, well, I'm Martha Stewart now. And anything that I've been planning as Amelia Earhart has to go out the window because we are now converged on the reality because you've given me that name. And it's the same kind of mentality that you need to be able to pivot in any kind of customer-facing role. And, so, and it's really tough to do on the marketing side of things because often so many marketing activities are really meticulously planned. You, you might have your calendar of your different campaigns that are going out, your different topics, you have your educational programs and all those other things that are very, very carefully planned. But what happens if a customer suddenly comes up with this really great idea and it just sparks in your head like, oh my God, more, you know, my customers need to learn about this best practice. You need to be able to find that nugget and make something out of it on the fly to really get the most benefit out to your customers. It would be doing them a disservice not to. Yeah. So before we go too far down the, the marketing side of things, let's, let's take a step back. Like, t Tell me a little bit about your background in, in improv. I've always done some sort of theater and I ran a sketch comedy troupe in college where our team did improv as a way to generate ideas that we would later flesh out into sketches. Um, it was really only until about 2015 when I started taking improv classes and I did the entire curriculum at Improv Boston when I was living in Boston as well as a couple of musical electives because I'm a musical theater nerd. And had a really fantastic time with it. I was part of several indie groups, um, did a lot of performances, made some really fantastic lifelong friends. And then I moved to Florida in 2018 and linked up with Sick Puppies. And now I'm a member of the cast there at Sick Puppies Comedy. And we play uh, at the Doghouse Theater in Delray Beach. Very fun. If anybody's in Delray Beach, they should check it out. Yeah, little shout out to anyone in uh, South Florida. It is a great show. We do shows on Fridays and Saturdays. Uh, the Friday shows are stand-up and improv, and then the Saturday shows are just improv. And so this has always been something that's you know, kind of been a, a passion of yours, been on the side, but it's something that you've really seemed to have taken the principles from and, and integrated into your work. So tell me about how you first started seeing a link between improv comedy and marketing, which a lot of people wouldn't necessarily see that overlap. Active listening is, is the big part of that. Um, I grew up in a background where we were never really listening to understand as much as we were waiting for our turn to talk. And unfortunately, that became a bad habit that kind of permeated through a lot of growing up in some of my earlier roles. And so when you're in that mentality where you're just trying to plan out the next thing to say, 
you're not really paying attention to what's going on right in front of you. And improv was the single best thing that helped to correct that kind of thinking. Because if you're in your head, you're missing what's going on. And then you're letting down your team, you're missing opportunities that you could find this really interesting kernel that you can blow up to making into an entire scene if you're not really paying that close attention. And I found that it was more than meditation. And I've tried all of those other things where you try to quiet your mind and do the deep breathing and all of that other stuff. And I wish I could get into that woo-woo stuff, but I can't. Um, I think it's because I need to have something active going on at the time. And improv was really the best way to do that. Because if I'm trying to make my mental shopping list of what I need to buy at the grocery store, I have no idea what just happened on stage. And then I'm useless. And so it was because of that skill that I built over time with improv that I've been able to kind of turn off that voice in my head when I'm in meetings and I can really listen and pay attention to what's going on. And that's also parlayed into conversations with customers where I'm really more actively listening for what their pain points are. What are they excited about? What do they want to learn? What do they need? What do they want us to understand? Because if you're just going at those conversations when you're in sales mode of, hey, let me tell you about our new feature, like they might be telling you about their mom is going through chemo. Like they don't want to hear about your new their new feature at this time. Like you're talking about whatever it is, is the most important thing to them at that time. And if you can find a segue into what you came into that conversation to say, great. If not, doesn't matter. Drop it. Because it's more important to that customer to feel heard and understood than it is for you to get your thing out at that exact moment in time. I think there's some beautiful analogy here when you when you talked about how often we're just listening, waiting for the person to stop talking so that we can talk. And you know, I think so much about customer marketing and you know, voice of the customer stuff is genuinely listening to our customers and taking their feedback to action but so often we listen to them i think just to check a box like we're not we're 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 listening to them we say there's this analogy i think we're listening to them waiting for them to stop talking so that we can just do what we were going to do anyways like we're not actually listening to them to see like okay what are your actual pain points like we were going down this path with our product or with our marketing okay maybe we should actually change now that we've heard you i think there's some kind of cool analogy there yeah, it's definitely the difference between listening for feedback versus listening for validation. Prior to being in customer marketing or even really marketing, I was a product manager. And I worked very closely with engineers developing hard goods, um, consumer electronics. And so much was done within the room of the engineers deciding amongst themselves what the cool thing would be that it would go down an entire path of let's build what the engineers think is the cool thing. And it wouldn't be market tested until the thing was like a week away from launch. And then it would go out into the market and be a complete disaster because it was never validated by the customers earlier on in the iteration process. And so then there was this huge crash where you have this product and now everyone is blamestorming, trying to figure out what went wrong. And then the customers are finally brought in for their feedback. You learn what their pain points are. And then the engineers are trying to defend themselves saying, well, you have bad data <laughs> because it's not saying what they want to hear. You end up with a lot of wasted money, a lot of wasted time and unhappy customers. So think of how much better that entire 
iteration plan would have been if the customers had been along those conversations far, far earlier on in that iteration process where they were at the table discussing, hey, what should we build? And that doesn't mean that a company should be completely reactive to customers because then you're always going to be lagging. You do need to have some innovation. But even when you're working on something innovation, you know, something new and innovative, you still should incorporate your customers in those conversations to say, hey, here's what we're thinking about building. You know, how does this align with what your needs are? Or if you had to prioritize between these three things that we can that we can build but only have bandwidth for one, how would you prioritize them? And that's how you end up really bringing your customer along with you on that journey. And that's what's going to ultimately help lead to that customer loyalty and advocacy because they feel heard. And even if customers are suggesting some kind of feature that is just not tenable for whatever reason in your company, at least if there's a closing of that feedback loop where you can go back to your customers and say, hey, we really appreciate that idea. You know, we've gone through our systems and it's just not going to work this time around on our product roadmap, but thank you so much. And we want to hear from you, you know, when you have the next great idea, because maybe that one is going to be something that we, that we put on. And how cool is that if you end up being the customer who suggests a thing that ends up getting made? I had this idea in the episode I had with Michelle Randall, CMO of Playvox, that if a customer comes up with the idea and you, and you get, and you implement it, the customer should get to name that feature. I don't think it's a very good idea. I, I feel like it would end in disaster, but I think it's a pretty fun idea. It's a cool idea. I mean, I mean, maybe not give them you know that much of a of a marketing or brand edge over things, but certainly reward them. That that, that was exactly what Michelle Randall said. She she very quickly shot down that idea as <laughs> as not not a very good idea. I think it's fun though, but maybe. But so I, I think there's a, a couple of interesting things that you said that really resonated with me. I think the one side of it is. A lot of times people will bring their customers into this process, but something that you spelled out is doing it earlier, right? Like we so often bring customers into the process so late in the game when we're too sunk in this, we've gone too far, there's no turning back now. And then we ask for feedback and it's like, well, what do you expect to do with that feedback? So it's about doing what you're doing now, which is bringing them in, but bringing them in earlier when you can actually start to change directions. And then the other thing that I thought was really interesting is when you talked about I think you can have a tendency to then be overreactive, right? One person gives you feedback and then all of a sudden you're going in a completely different direction. But I really like this idea of not just giving customers what they ask for, but giving them what they actually need. Uh, and so a lot of times those things can be a little bit different. Like maybe you give them something that they didn't even know that they needed, but you only get there by first understanding what they actually need. And you only get there by actually listening to them with the intent of trying to move forward. And it is, it is so much more time efficient and cost efficient to course correct early than to have an oh no moment after something's already gone out to market. And it's not even just with products either. I mean, even marketing campaigns can, can work that way as well. I mean, if you have a group of trusted customers, possibly in your community or you know, folks who your CSMs are close with, and you're about to launch a really big campaign, show it to them before you launch it. Say, you know, hey, if you were a prospect for my company and you saw this ad, what would you think? I mean, you, you have that balance between qualitative and quantitative data, because obviously, to your point, if you have one person who, you know, has this idea and then everyone just kind of jumps on it and that person was an outlier, then you're in trouble. 
Um, so you want to have the numbers to validate that. But I think there's a certain amount of customer empathy that you're just never going to get from a survey. So let's bring this back to improv. What are what are some techniques, some learnings that you think marketers can take and bring into their work, whether it's in, you know, overall messaging, whether it's in the lens of, you know, customer marketing, advocacy communities, like what, what are some improv principles that you think that marketers can start integrating? Well, the fundamental principle of, of improv is yes. And you've probably heard of that. It's, it's part of in the movies and whenever you see improv on TV and portrayed, it, it's kind of the, the basic thing. And, and that basically just means that everyone is in agreement with the reality, you accept what's in front of you and you embellish on that. So if I say to you, you know, congratulations, Prince Harry on, you know, closing another fantastic tour of the world, you'd say, yes, and I met so many incredible people on my world tour. Let me tell you about that. Well, you might say that in English accent. Let, yes, let me... <laughs> Let me tell you about some of the incredible people I've met during my, you know, during my travels, something like that. Because that way you're moving the whole scene forward. And it's the same principle that you can apply to, to marketing as well. That, you know, you listen to what customers say, you accept that, and you figure out what you're going to be able to do in order to move that along. And it also means being able to drop a preconceived idea that you have. You might have this really great great concept or a really good campaign that you're putting together and you put in all of this time and planning and if you put it in front of customers and they're and they just kind of look at it and they're like eh, like do something about it <laughs> you know either change it or do it or scrap the thing entirely and move along or if you happen to find some other really juicy nugget of feedback from a customer in your community or in your conversations, figure out where there's an opportunity to leverage that in some other way. And that's tough because you have to balance that with your metrics and your your goals. And there needs to be some semblance of planning involved. You can't obviously improvise an entire marketing plan, but you need to leave room to be able to make those really quick pivots and honor what the customers are looking for and saying. And I think another thing about improv is that it's it's really fun, right? I mean, it, when when it's done right, it's it's really fun, and it's it's a chance to be creative. You and I have talked in the past around you know whether it comes to your your messaging, whether it's in a community or just you know newsletter copies and things like that, around trying to bring more personality uh, and and fun to your brand. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? One of the reasons I love improv and humor and comedy in general is that it is literally the fastest way to make a connection between two people is getting that person to laugh. You can come from different cultures. You may not speak the same language. You might have absolutely nothing else in common, but if you both see something funny and you laugh at the same time, you're making that connection between that other person. And when you're working with customers, you're trying to get to know them on a personal level at scale, of course. And there are lots of different ways that you can go about doing that. But at the end of the day, you're really trying to connect with your customers as human beings and not just people who use your product. And in order to really connect with another person as a human being, you need to you need to get rid of some of that corpse speak and talk to them like another human being. And so, yeah, if you're going to have 
a discussion in your forum, you want to have, of course, the shop talk and the things where customers can respond to each other and give best practices and all that educational stuff, which is very useful. But there's nothing wrong with having something like, hey, take a movie title and replace a word with bacon. And let's have everyone weigh in on the, their funniest movie title and then have the folks vote on which one is the best and give that person a prize. It's not only a way to get people kind of out of that shop talk mentality and just relax and connect to their other customers as people, but especially for those who might be a little bit more introverted and afraid to speak up, this is a really low stakes way for them to engage in a way that something that's asking for their personal career expertise might not. And so it becomes that baby step that they might take and responding to something in your customer community or with your conversations that they can glom onto that eventually helps build their confidence so that way they give those more high value responses later. And how big of a concern is it of you know, not sticking to the brand's tone and voice. Like obviously, like if you're, I don't know, using, if you're selling some sort of product that is a little bit more straight laced, you probably have specific brand guidelines, but you want to also create this more personable approach, maybe in your community or in your other comms. Like, how do you think about trying to strike that balance? It's something that you need to be careful of. There are always going to be kind of verboten topics. Like you don't want to talk about politics. You don't want to talk about religion. You don't want to have anything that would be, you know, an R-rated joke or something like that. That's just going to be inappropriate for the workplace in general. Um, but even in heavy, regu heavily regulated industries, you can still find conversations that draw upon a common thread of humanity. You can ask any customer, regardless of what industry they're in, if they've ever met a celebrity and what were the circumstances in which they met this person. You can ask about favorite movies. You can ask about what's your favorite thing to do over the summer. What's, you know, tell us about your pets. All of those things that, and then you can find a funny meme that ties into that stuff. I mean, God knows there are a million funny dog pictures on the internet. I spend at least an hour at night looking at them. They're there. And, you know, there's a, there's a great, and that's, it's a great way where you're not really, you're not hurting the brand. You're not really going so far out of left field that people are going to wonder what the heck is going on. But it's still a great way that you can get your folks to connect. So one thing I've heard you talk about around this topic is how improv can help you build your confidence. Uh, can, can you talk around that in, and how that can uh, translate into a professional setting? Absolutely. So improv, beyond I think anything else, gives you permission to fail. That even when you see the best improvisers in the game, like you're looking at whose line is it anyway, and these people have won Emmy Awards and they're fantastic. Do you know how edited whose line is it anyway is? They, I mean, these are the best people and they're still going to have hours of unusable footage. The whole point about improv is you're one and done. You're doing a scene. It's going to develop organically from whatever comes out of the minds of the people on stage at that specific time, given whatever their specific input was, and you're never going to see it again. And how freeing is that to be able to know that, you know, so what? It was a bad scene. You're never doing it again. We're not going to have a review over it. We're not going to beat ourselves up over it because it's done. And more likely than not, the only person who's going to remember any of it is you. So it really does help kind of move that muscle to accept failure and iteration and building on, okay, this is a learning experience. 
I've heard the saying before that fear never really goes away. You just get more comfortable ignoring that fear and doing things anyways. Whether you're generating ideas in a meeting or starting a big marketing campaign that might not work out, there are going to be plenty of opportunities to fail in our industry, and in all industries really. Maybe improv can be a way for us to thicken our skin and not be afraid that things might not work out. And when things don't work out, maybe we can learn to adapt to that new reality. It goes back to vulnerability, empathy, and humanity as well. And let me give you an example. Um, I don't know if we want to keep this, but <laughs> um, I sent an email out because I'm very new to using the tool. To email? You've never used email before? No, I've used email before. I've, 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 never, I've never used a specific email tool before because I've, I've always written the copy of the email and handed it to an ops person who loaded it in on the back end. So this email went out and there are 300 different fields to choose from. And I picked the wrong field. I thought, I thought it was going to be dear name of customer. It ended up being a, a different name. And so I got a customer. Yeah, so this thing went out. I realized it immediately. I'm like, oh, okay, what am I going to do? I had a couple of customers write back saying, hey, you got, I, I appreciate what, what you have to say, but like, this isn't my name. <laughs> and and I wrote back to each one of these people with a, a little gift card just saying, hey, you know, thank you so much. I appreciate your eagle eyes. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm very new to using this tool. But, you know, thank you so much for, for keeping an eye out. Um, you know, here's a cup of coffee for your time. And every single one of those people wrote back, no worries. I've done the exact same thing. This is, you know, it's totally fine. You didn't need to send me anything. I really appreciate it. And you know what? It's because of the vulnerability. That's not to say like, don't proofread <laughs> or you know, don't pay attention or, or any of those things. Like you do want to have the highest quality you can, but recognizing that everyone makes mistakes and it is so much better to connect with your customers when you're like, yep, I'm human. I did this and I'm sorry, <laughs> than it is to try to cover your tracks and pretend that nothing ever happened. And a lot of those people probably wouldn't have even responded to the first email. Like if, if it said, hi, Dan, and it was their correct name, I feel like a lot of them would have disregarded it. But because it said, hi, Milwaukee or something like that, I don't, I don't know what field you selected was their, was their location. Uh, but uh, a lot of those people probably responded and you engaged with them in a deeper way than would have just happened if you had done it correctly. So I think this is, like you said, not to say that you should have made that mistake, but a lot of times these things can open up opportunities to just connect more with our customers. We can all relate to having, you know, screwed up on something that's not, that's maybe a little embarrassing, but isn't life-threatening or life-changing. Even those can be learning experiences, right? And that's a way that you can connect with customers as well. I mean, a good question that you might want to ask in, in a discussion forum is, you know, what is a mistake that you've made that you really learned from? And you can get some really fantastic learning from that. It could be related to your company's product. It could be just a life lesson. But all of that really helps people understand each other in a way that they're not going to get that kind of engagement from other types of communication. Right. And especially now where it's so easy to do everything in bulk and people are so used to being marketed to. I mean, I get probably a hundred LinkedIn invites from like random BDRs a day for products that have nothing to do with, with what I do. 
it's what we're bombarded with every day. So if you have something that can cut through that noise because you actually recognize that there's a human on the other end of the screen, that has so much value to it. And so for the folks who are listening to this and say, Lauren, you've convinced me there's a lot of overlap between improv and marketing. I have no background in improv. How can people get into it? And I'd love if you can look at kind of both ends of the spectrum. So obviously the one end is like somebody could actually like go join an improv troupe. Uh, but the other side is like, you know, some people who maybe want to dip their toes in this, but not go quite that far. So so what what is what can the spectrum look like for folks, marketing folks who are looking to learn more about this? I, I mean, I'd say the easiest way is to take an improv class. You know, most improv companies will have multiple levels. And so you're not committing yourself to going through an entire sick level program like I, I did. But, you know, 101, it's only a couple weeks. It's a it's a good place to start. Um, something similar, if you're really trying to get over a fear of public speaking and being able to better present yourself, um, Toastmasters is always great. And even just watching improv. Whose line is it anyway? Great short form improv. It's been around for a decade or so. Just watch what they do and not thinking about, you know, what did they do in this scene that was funny, but how did this person react when that other person said something that was so completely out of left field, you know that that person had no idea where that was coming from. How did, how did they pivot? How did they react and still keep the scene going? Whose line is it anyways? You talk about it being such a classic show. My only foray into improv was in the seventh grade. We had a drama class and our school didn't have a drama teacher. So it was our music teacher who taught it. And he said, I don't know anything about drama. So all we're going to do is play whose line is it anyways games. And that was the entire class all year round. And it was a lot of fun. We just all did improv. We all played stupid games. I don't know if I learned anything about drama, but I probably learned some things that maybe I now integrate into my marketing career. Probably without even knowing it. I mean, we're all improvisers if you really think about it. I mean, do you script every conversation that you have at work? I, I, I often run it through my head a few times, but no, not, not perfectly scripted. But you don't know what the person on the other end of your conversation is going to say. So you're improvising. It's maybe a different kind and you're not doing improv comedy and you're not, you know, making up random scenes between, you know, people or dinosaurs or plants or whatever on stage. But you're still reacting in real time to some sort of connection that's being thrown your way. So it's nothing to be afraid of taking a course on it because it's something that you're already doing. This just helps to refine that skill set and figure out better ways that you can apply it in ways that will help grow what you're what you're trying to accomplish. You know, it's it's the empathy. Just a quick improv example. Bad improv, and we've probably all seen it, is when people are manufacturing stuff. You're not bringing props on stage. It's all you're making stuff out of air. So it's like, okay, oh, the monkey has escaped from the, from the circus. Now we have to chase the monkeys down. But wait, here's an elephant. Okay, now we have to get the elephant. Oh, no, one of the, one of the trapeze artists just fell and broke their neck. Well, we have to triage that. And so the audience is looking at this like, this is dumb. I'm just watching a whole bunch of people running around on stage, you know, with imaginary objects. Because, and the reason that they're going to disengage is because there's no emotion there. There's no connection between the people. And so one of the things you learn is if you... Stop spending all of your time just making up stuff and really focusing on the core of what is happening in this scene. Like, the monkeys ran. Oh my God, the monkeys ran away. 
that was my mom's monkey. She, that monkey was her best friend. She is going to have a nervous breakdown if we don't get that back. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to say to her. You know? And then the, and then the scene is no longer about the monkeys. It's a, it's about, you know, the emotional stakes involved in what's going on and the relationship between the people involved. Amazing. So, so Lauren, that wrap up question I always like to ask everybody is for the folks listening at home, if you could give them one piece of advice to make them one step in the right direction, closer to being more customer obsessed, what would it be? Broadly invest in your customers. And that can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Um, obviously, you can put money into customer-facing programs. You, you can put your assets there. But time is also a really valuable resource. And if you invest your time in talking to your customers and really listening to what they have to say and understanding what their pain points are and what are, what are they planning on, and, and not even just what their company does and how their company uses your product, but what does this person want next for their career and how can you help them get there? Your tool might be a way to do that, but you're only going to get one step ahead by allowing them the mechanism to become an expert at your tool. What's next? How does, how do you, how does your tool help facilitate them personally? in achieving their goals. And that costs time. And also, you know, connecting with your customers in other ways too. We, we've talked about previously the five love languages. You know, coming from Alice, I'm gonna say one of the five love languages is gifts. And it doesn't cost a whole lot to send a nice pick-me-up gift to a customer who you know might be going through some stuff. Or sending a nice gift to a customer as a thank you for giving a reference or speaking at a conference, or giving a testimonial, or things like that. And the better you know that person, the more personalized you can make that gift becoming. And you're really helping to connect that way. I think my one actionable advice from this is, I think everybody should go watch Whose Line Is It Anyways. I don't know how to watch it in Canada. I don't think it's on Netflix, but I'll, I'll have to find some way to watch it. It's a really great show. Um, it is a fantastic teaching tool as well, not just as a funny, entertaining thing to watch, but how people respond to each other, allowing the fun to come out of things. You know, you follow the fun thing. You can see so easily how you might have started in one place and then they end the scene with something completely different. And just the joy in being able to see what that journey looks like. And to take that journey from a stage perspective into your interactions with your colleagues as well as your customers. Like what makes them tick? If you were to, to play convergence with somebody from the product side, you know, what kind of answers would they throw out compared to what somebody on the sales side might give you? And how do you get all on the same page as quickly as possible? Because ultimately you're all working together for the same goals. I love that. Lauren, this has been great. Uh, I think my takeaway is that we all have a little improv artists inside of us. We all have a little bit of Colin Mockery and Ryan Styles inside of all of us. Uh, and and we all need to to lean into that a little bit more. But but Lauren, this is great. Thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks so much, Dan. Great time. Really appreciated it. So apparently there's a lot that improv can teach us about marketing. It can teach us active listening and how to be present in the moment. It can teach us how to be more creative and personable in the messaging we send to our customers. And it can make us learn how to go with the flow. 
With all of this, we can connect more deeply with our customers. We can learn to actually take their feedback and use it in a meaningful way. And we can start taking chances, knowing it'll be fine if everything doesn't work out. All of these things can make us better marketers. Listen, I don't know how many of you are going to go out and take an improv class. Although I hope it's some of you. If just one person listened to this episode and took an improv class, I think we did our job. But for the rest of you, I hope it makes you want to bring other creative activities into your life. Peter Drucker, the management guru, was once asked, what's one thing people should do to be better at business? And he said, learn to play the violin. Creativity begets creativity. Maybe improv isn't right for all of you, and maybe the violin isn't either. But we could all probably benefit from being more creative outside of our work. This has been the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive. I've been your host, Dan Kalmar. Until next time, let me know where I can watch Whose Line Is It Anyway in Canada. I can't find it.